Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Welcome into the latest episode of the Five Reasons Podcast. I'm Ethan Skolnick here as always with Chris Winningham. Now that you have found us, whether it's on iTunes, Google Play, Podbean, Stitcher, Spotify, or any of the other apps where you find your podcast, be sure to hit the subscribe button. That will give you access to all of our old episodes, a lot of which actually are still very current, and all of our new episodes. As long as you hit the notifications button as well, you will end up getting them as soon as as they post. Also check out the Twitter account at five reason sports. That's the number five. And from there we publish updates all day long and polls as well. We have four other podcasts that started with us in the network. That's three yards per carry balls cast Miami heat beat and now pitch invasion, but we've added three more this week. So check those out. That's fish tank dolphins tales from the deep. Also fantasy on five and Goldie on ice. That's hosted by Steve Goldstein and that one just launched this week on the Panthers and the NHL. All right, back here with Chris Whittingham. We do not have a guest today because we don't really feel like we need it, Chris. Um, these are guys we're going to talk about today who we have watched for their entire careers. Um, I know that you're a lot younger than me, but obviously this is in your wheelhouse too because this is kind of your growing up. These are the guys that were prominent in the NBA. And so what we're going to get into are five guys and sort of where they stand at this point in their careers. For some of them, they're kind of on the back end of their careers. For others, they're kind of hanging on for dear life. But what we're going to call this, and I know you're going to question this because one of these guys didn't actually get on the banana boat, but we're going to call this Banana Boat Crew Plus One, this particular episode. And so <laughs> the, five, the five guys that we're going to get into are LeBron James, Chris Paul, Dwayne Wade, Carmelo Anthony, who did not get on the banana boat uh, with those other three guys, but was on vacation with him. And also, but, but history like, will always remember him as part of the banana boat crew, even though, as we, as you said, it was Gabrielle Union who was the fourth on the boat, not Carmelo. Correct. Um, and her career is going just fine. So we don't really <laughs> need to assess that. Everything's going swell for Gabrielle. And the fifth one is Dwight Howard. Uh, he was not part of the banana boat crew. He's been thrown overboard a few times over the past few years. And we're <laughs> going to get into why, because when you start to look at the numbers for these five guys, you'll find that Dwight belongs in this company. But I don't think that the average NBA fan views it that way anymore because he has now played, now that he's signed with Washington, for four teams in one division, the Southeast Division. The only team he has not joined at this stage is the Miami Heat. And that almost happened a couple of times, actually. Uh, Pat Riley at least inquired about his services. So let's start here with Carmelo. And I want to put this into some context. So I put this out on Twitter uh, a couple of days ago, and it got a big, big response because I think people like arguing about these players and kind of seeing where they are and where they fit in the context of history. So what I took a look at, Chris, were the top 12 players in win shares for their careers that were drafted between the years of 2000 and 2007. And if you're not familiar with win shares, it's, it's a statistic that is used by basketball reference that basically is supposed to sort of give you an assessment. It's an estimate of how many wins per season a player contributes to. So it's supposed to account for offense and defense. It takes some advanced metrics and puts them into the formula. It's not perfect. It does not account for pace. I know that's something that a lot of people who you know, are sort of in the analytics side of the NBA don't like about it. But it's one of the best models that we have to at least see where a player ranks. So, Chris, I'm going to give you the list. Sure. LeBron is number one. Not a huge surprise there. And I think it validates the stat, right? Like when you see the right guy at the top of a stat, <laughs> yes. you're like, okay, it's a good stat. Right. Well, uh, if, well, that's kind of the thing about all this, isn't it? Is that if if a stat kind of lines up with your your viewpoint going in, but if it challenges your viewpoint, then it's like, oh, this is a bad stat. Right. And I think some people are going to look at number five on this list and say, it's a bad stat. They might even look at number three, but I would disagree because I think there are cases to be made for both of those guys. So LeBron is the runaway winner here. 219 win shares. Number two, Chris Paul, 164. And I know there's a narrative with Chris Paul about his playoff play, 
kind of went away a little bit this year because they might have made the finals if he'd simply stayed healthy. But 164 win shares is a ton of win shares, especially for a player who is at times had difficulty staying healthy and has missed some games over the course of his career. And hasn't always, hasn't always particularly New Orleans played in the best teams. Right. I mean, his second best player there was probably David West or actually another guy who's we're going to get to later uh, that is on this list. Number three, I think this one would surprise people. Pau Gasol, 143 win shares, um, has never really, after he got out of Memphis, been the number one guy on his team, was clearly the number two with the Lakers, although he probably should have been the guy to win the MVP the year that Kobe did in the finals. And I know the Kobe stands will be all over me about that. But uh, <laughs> Powell then you know, went to Chicago, was not the lead guy, not the lead guy in San Antonio. But he's compiled some pretty impressive stats. He's third in win shares for those guys drafted between 2000 and 2007. Fourth, Kevin Durant, 130. He would be higher, but he was drafted in 2007. So he's a lot younger than a lot of the guys on this list. Otherwise, if you go by win shares per season, he would be second to LeBron. Fifth, Dwight Howard, 128 win shares. So the fifth most productive guy who was drafted during that eight-year period is Dwight Howard. And yet, as I mentioned, he's playing for Washington this year after he's already played for Orlando, Los Angeles, Houston, Charlotte. Help me out here. Brooklyn. Oh, I forgot. Well, that does does that count? No, it doesn't count. Uh, (laughs) Atlanta. Atlanta, right. How could we forget the Atlanta tenure? So, yeah, four teams in the Southeast Division, and yet fifth overall in win shares, ahead of Dwayne Wade. Now, drafted one year after Dwayne Wade, yet has 10 more win shares. Now, part of that is because Dwayne missed time, right? Dwayne missed Mm -hmm. most of the 07-08 season. He missed a lot of other games in other seasons during the Big Three era, but still behind Dwight Howard. Tony Parker, seventh, just changed teams, went to Charlotte. He's at 110. Chris Bosch at 106. Chris would be higher, but of course he's missed, you know, the last couple of seasons and missed parts of the two seasons prior to that because of the blood clotting situation. He's trying to come back. He would be higher on this list. But Bosch is still, and I think again, this would surprise people. Bosch has missed all of this time. He's ahead of Carmelo in win shares for his career. And of course, they were drafted right next to each other in the 2003 draft. Carmelo was ninth at 101. The next three guys, Tyson Chandler, 99, mostly based on his defense more than his offense. LaMarcus Aldridge at 97. Amari Stoudemire at 92. That would be higher if Amari hadn't gotten hurt, missed a lot of time, and was not quite the same player when he came back. So what we're going to do is we're going to focus on five of these 12 guys And we're going to start with Carmelo, who's ninth on this list. The reason we're going to start with him is there's really the most uncertainty with him right now, Chris. Like, he's the one in the news. He's kind of the impetus for us doing this pod. And we're hearing about three potential teams for Carmelo once he kind of clears his way out of Oklahoma City and that $27 million contract. So we've got Los Angeles as a possibility to go play with LeBron. We've got Houston as a possibility to play with Chris Paul. And we've got Miami as a possibility to play with Dwayne Wade. Before we get into those situations, what kind of a player do you think Carmelo Anthony has been? I think that he has been a player that I find him really I find him really difficult to figure out because he has put himself in some bad situations from a team vantage point, right? So I think doing to himself, right, ruining the Knicks because he wanted the trade there so badly so that he can make as much money as possible. I feel like that's his sort of enduring legacy is that he sacrificed his basketball career to make as much money as possible. And so from a basketball point of view, there's a lot of stylistic things I don't like about his game. And yet I feel like if he was at sort of full strength, and obviously no one's going to be LeBron in year 15 the way that he's at at, at at this point, I do think that in the switching era, he would be a really valuable player because a lot of the game now, particularly in the, play, in, in the playoffs, is played in isolation. But I think there's just a lot of stylistic things I never really liked about his game, and he never really got to play on good teams. He never had the chance to prove that he could be an important player on a championship team because he was so concerned with making money, let's be honest. And he might have played for a championship team potentially if he had just been willing to wait it out in Denver. Now, I don't know if they get past the Lakers, but they were close. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they pushed the Lakers in that Western Conference Finals. He had a really good partner there in Chauncey Billups, who was the right kind of player for him to play with. I actually think he's played better with Chauncey Billups than with any other player 
during his career. And he just didn't want to be there anymore. And like you said, he wanted to make money. He wanted to get away from George Carl. Denver wasn't a big enough market from him. He sort of has two hometowns, New York and Baltimore. He had an opportunity to play in one of them. He wanted the bright lights. But here's my thing about Carmelo. And I've, I've put this on, on Twitter before. Um, if you just simply put his numbers down and forget the fact that he was a, the number three pick in the draft in 2003, which is probably where he should have gone. Actually, it's just that he shouldn't have gone behind Darko, right? It should have sure. been either Wade or Bosch or maybe even both. Uh, in fact, I think both um, who should have gone ahead of him. But you have that you have winning the national championship with Syracuse and you have him playing in New York right. as, the I, I would, only, I, as the only star on the team. I would say based off the argument you're about to make, his fame outpaces his basketball output. Yes, and the reason that I can say that is because do you think of Alex English as a famous all-time NBA player? Honestly, you've made this comparison before. I didn't know who Alex English was until you brought that up. (laughs) Okay, so I've made my point. Um, (laughs) Alex English also played in Denver, but that's the only place he played. Okay, He, He didn't play in New York. Um, he didn't sort of almost sign with Chicago. He didn't almost sign with Houston. He didn't win a national championship. He wasn't on Olympic teams, uh, which, by the way, is where Carmelo has done his best work. Sure. And, it's been on the Olympic teams. And, and, never- and, and I think kind of dispels the notion that he is, uh, you know, the, you know, this anti-team guy, doesn't help your team win. And I, I think he, he legitimately is in that conversation of, you know, one of the better translates better to national teams. And I, I kind of wonder what it would have been like if he had, if he had, let's say it wasn't, you know, Wade, you know, LeBron and Bosch, if it was Wade, LeBron and Carmelo, what that would have looked like. I think he would have fit in better than what we saw in New York because uh, he, you're right. He needs to respect the other guy, players he's playing with. I, I think that's the biggest thing. We talk about the way it worked with Chauncey. He clearly respected Chauncey. And, and so I think that's why that collaboration worked. You know, the problem with him and Amari in New York was that Amari had sort of taken over that town for about a year. Remember, Amari Stoudemire was getting MVP consideration in 2010, 2011, right? And then the Carmelo trade happened. And then Amari started to break down a little bit, but also didn't have the same role that he had before. And the whole thing kind of fell apart. So, you know, getting to the point about Alex English, if you put Carmelo's stats down next to Alex English's stats and took off the names, I am telling you, do the comparison on, pro, on basketball reference. Their numbers are identical. I'm not just talking about one stat, like points per game. I'm talking about shooting percentages. I'm talking about steals, blocks, every sort of basic counting stat, average stat that you're looking for, but also a lot of the metrics. And actually, the metrics favor English. But I'm looking at offensive rating, defensive rating here for Carmelo. His offensive rating for his career is 108. His defensive rating for his career is 108. (laughs) Well, that that pretty well encapsulates it. He's a really good offensive player and a terrible defensive one. Which makes him an average player. Can, can, I ask, I mean, can, can I ask you a question, Ethan? Because I feel like we, sort of in the modern era of basketball, right, we don't necessarily have appreciation for players like Carmelo anymore because we talk about three-point shooting, we talk about spacing, we talk about ball movement, and all the things that I, I would say I like in a basketball game. Now, I know people that don't, but I feel like there is a lack of appreciation for players with the skill set of Carmelo. Are you mm-hmm. opposed to players who just, you need a bucket, you give him the ball, he can more often than not get you a bucket. Now, I'm not saying by percentage, I'm just saying that if you hand the ball to someone with eight seconds left on the shot clock and ask them to generate a shot against an opposing defender, I look at, you know, for example, the Heat. Really, Dwayne Wade can only do that, in my opinion. Like, I, there aren't enough kind of shot creators in it. Like, getting your own shot is a skill set that I didn't really learn to appreciate until I, I think someone who talks about a lot this a lot is Bomani Jones of ESPN. And I used to have a lot of resistance to it until you start watching playoff basketball and you see a lot of guys who can't get their own shot. Do you think that it is perhaps a blind spot of ours or of yours? that we don't necessarily have an appreciation for what Carmelo does. I think that could be part of it. Yes. Uh, I I think the ability to take over a game when nothing else is working for anybody else is Mm -hmm. valuable. And I know that say, I mean, one example, Eric Spolster is an analytics guy, not 
not all the way. Okay. Not all the way. And we've had that conversation, but he believes in the numbers to a certain degree. And yet he has always had tremendous respect for Carmelo. Like he used to gush about Carmelo. Like, you know, we have to deal with, I mean, he would tell his players like deal with him. Like don't worry about everybody else. Like don't let him get off. Okay. And then you'd look up and Carmelo would be like, you know, four of nine for the quarter. Right. <laughs> and, yeah. you know, with, with maybe a three or two and a couple of free throws to be like, okay, he hasn't been that efficient, but it's still worried Spolster and the heat coaching staff. So I do think there is more, maybe more respect in coaching circles than there is sort of in. And, and certainly people. I would say in player circles, I think players yeah. have immense respect for Carmelo. They do, but see, I'm going to give you another guy here because to me, the closest comp for Carmelo, and it's not from a size perspective, and uh, these two guys actually played together and it didn't work out very well, is Iverson. Um, If you look at a guy who was able to get his own shot, but whose numbers, I think, have been colored negatively by sort of more intelligence. (laughs) By history, Well, but, but, but I would say by more intelligence in terms of the way that people evaluate the game now, right? Because look, there are things to love about Iverson's game. Like nobody was tougher than Allen Iverson. Nobody in the league. I'm particularly, I mean, he was 160 pounds. Okay. And he kept coming at you all game long. He was, you know, as Spolster would say, relentless. Okay. That was Iverson. But if you look at Iverson's numbers for his career, he's a career 42.5% shooter, career 31.3% from three. His career offensive rating was 105, which is pretty pedestrian. Now, he did not play with a lot of great offensive players. Um, I mean, the team that he dragged to the finals in 2001 uh, was a terrible team. But, that, but than- that's sort of the thing, right? So so you say that you know he, he was you know a, an inefficient player, and in the year that he took the Philadelphia 76ers to the finals, he shot 39% from the field in the playoffs, took 661 shots in 22 games, which is almost impossible, played more than 1,000 minutes. But if you look at his raw numbers, he mm-hmm. was inefficient in those playoffs. He theoretically was not helping them win, and yet they got to the finals. Right. And so I, there's a certain amount of it that I, I'm starting to question sort of how strictly I adhere to the numbers because – Iverson helped them win. I, I Carmelo, for me, does not always help teams win. I think he very often stagnates and drains the talent out of his teammates, particularly, for example, in an, in an example like Linsanity. When Linsanity was going on, he put an end to it, singularly. He didn't want it to happen. He has the ability to take mm-hmm. the air out of the ball. He himself put an end to Linsanity and Mike D'Antoni in New York because that's not the way that he wanted to play. But there are times where I think games and situations call for players like him, and I'm not going to say that he does not help you win because I don't like his style of play. And I understand that. And I, again, the same point is made with Iverson. Uh, when you look at the numbers here, though, some of these years, I mean, Allen Iverson shot 39.8% in, in 0102, 38.7% in 0304. I mean, these are Nick Young numbers, right? I mean, it's <laughs> right. I mean, it's just Nick Young shooting more. And, 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 and particularly, you know, high, high volume scoring. He took more than 20 shots a game for like nine straight seasons. It's it's remarkable. But, yeah. and, 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 and if you look at, I mentioned offensive rating, um, his defensive rating was 106. So actually for his career, Allen Iverson was a slightly negative player, but you'll never get other guys in the league to say that ever because, and they, they have immense respect for Iverson. And I know the fan base, not just in Philadelphia, but I mean, Iverson was a cultural icon also. I mean, Agreed. he represented something, but, I, but look, uh, he's he's arguably third or fourth best player in Philadelphia 76ers history. I mean, I, I Dr. J is first for me. Mm-hmm. Moses is second. Barkley probably third. And then Iverson. And I think there are some Philly fans uh, who'd probably fight you on that, who, who would say Iverson is should be yep. ahead of a couple of those guys. Barkley was a much more, I mean, whatever you feel about Charles as a commentator, Barkley was a much more efficient player than Allen Iverson, much more efficient, not even close. So, but I think there would be some Philadelphia people who would, and we might pull this, who would put Iverson ahead of Barkley for his career, in particular because of the way that Charles left and kind of wanted out. Uh, Iverson was a little bit of a different situation there. So uh, getting back to Carmelo, I guess the question becomes here. If if you view him as a guy who could be a combustible scorer, um, still may have a little of that in him, uh, but is clearly not the player he was. I mean, the last four years have not been pretty. You look at the OKC situation last year. If you take Carmelo off the floor and let Westbrook and Paul George play together, 
their numbers were terrific. Like the problem for Paul George and Westbrook was not each other. It was Carmelo like that. that, You add Carmelo to the two of them. Their numbers were not very good. And I think that's what OKC is banking on is that Carmelo being not being there is actually addition by subtraction. Like if, if you're looking for a reason for OKC to move up in the standings, it's that the pecking order is now clear. Steven Adams is their third guy. Uh, and it's, it's not about Carmelo anymore. So I guess the question becomes of the three situations that are out there, I just don't know that he can help any of the three. Um, I, I look at the Lakers. Okay. He gives LeBron a buddy, which clearly he's going to need out there because that roster to me is a disaster. Um, but he's going to take minutes away from Kuzma and Ingram who should be playing. Like, I mean, they should be playing heavy minutes with LeBron and kind of being put through the fire. Now I know a lot of young players really respect Carmelo. Carmelo does a lot of good community work. I mean, that should be acknowledged also. Mm -hmm. Uh, He's been a good role model in a lot of different ways that don't get noticed, but I don't know that he's a great role model for preparation, right? I mean, I, I think he's a good role model in some other ways, but the preparation part, him keeping his body in shape. I, I, I think you're trying to say professionalism, right? Right. When, when it comes to actually playing. But you're right. I, I actually dealt with one of Carmelo's ventures because I used to cover the NASL and he owned a team in Puerto Rico and uh, and was, you know, obviously and it basically ended the second the hurricane hit the island. Um, but he, he was involved in, in in trying to get relief there, and, and he has like a real connection to that island. So uh, you're right. He, he does a lot of things, but in terms of comportment, in terms of locker room, in terms of all the intangible stuff that we associate with winning is generally not his strength. Right. So why would the Lakers want that now? Because the Lakers are not competing, even if you think Carmelo makes them slightly better, and I don't know that he does. They're clearly by that roster. They're not competing for now. I mean, they signed a bunch of guys to one-year contracts. It looks to me like they're just trying to get in the playoffs and hope LeBron can maybe win a round, and then you sort of attract new players in 19. As we say that, Kawhi might get traded there you know, while we're on the pod. But unless that happens, I don't see anything else out there for them that's going to make a significant difference, not with the money that they have. So I don't see it in L.A. Houston, we're going to touch on Chris Paul in a minute. Uh, this just seems like you're just catering to Chris Paul for the sake of catering to Chris Paul. Like they've lost two key pieces, in my opinion, in Trevor Ariza and Luke Bamute, two guys who helped them play that switching defense that gave Golden State so many problems. And I, so now you just have P.J. Tucker. You don't have the other two guys and you're going to replace them with Carmelo. Now, I know you say from a size perspective, he can do that. He's not Ariza. He's not Bamute. And on the offensive end, I mean, he may be better than Bamute offensively because everybody is. But like, I, I don't, I don't know where he fits. I mean, their whole game is is threes and layups, right? And Carmelo has, for most of his career, made his living in the mid range. I, I just, he doesn't get to the line as much as he used to. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't. So, and, so and, and, you, and you fear there? a situation like OKC where he doesn't, he's he's the third guy and doesn't get the ball very much and just isn't. I, I, I don't I don't think that's his lot in life, and it's why I think the end of his career could be a struggle unless he comes to a place where he's going to be treated like that when he's on the floor. Okay, so let's get to the third place because I don't like Houston. So the third place is Miami, and mm-hmm. we've discussed this from a financial standpoint that if you could move a couple of contracts, whether it's Tyler or Dion and then James Johnson, that it's really it's a play for for Carmelo's cap space next year. It's sure. not, it wouldn't, it's not a play for his ability, but I mean, let's look at it from a basketball perspective. So, and, and, okay. and you'd, you'd also can I just say sort of very quickly that the OKC would never do that. Right. OKC no. is, is, they're not going to take on money for Carmelo because they're trying they to reduce their the tax, tax bill. Right? right. So if they, if they just release him using the stretch provision, they, they save $110 million. Like that, that's an insane amount of savings. And you're not going to take back Dion waiters and James Johnson in exchange for Carmelo and not get that tax. Like that, the, that 110 million is much more valuable to OKC than any player they can get back in return, unless they're getting like something really good, which I don't think that, which I don't think they will for Carmelo. Yeah, I'm with you on all that. So so let's say he, he springs free and Miami is an option. Now, we know Carmelo has lived down here before. Uh, clearly, obviously, his, you know, you know, I don't know what that situation is right now, but uh, clearly, you know, Lala has a relationship with with Gabrielle. We've talked about them going on vacation. Uh, but 
I, I, I don't, from a basketball perspective, I mean, how does it help the Heat? Because you've already got, let's assume Dwayne resigns, which I don't know is a complete assumption, is an assumption we should make. And we'll talk about that too. But let's say that Dwayne resigns. So you're going to have two guys who are limited minutes guys who slow the offense down when, when Spolstra, you know, at their best, the Heat want to play, drive and kick, motion, space, and all of that. Like, I, I just, I don't see it. And the other problem f- with it for me is if you're, we've talked about this before with James Johnson, but if, if you're not moving uh, James Johnson or somebody else and you're bringing in Carmelo, then again, you're, you're cutting even more into Justice Winslow's development if Winslow's still there. It's just another guy about that size who's going to be taking away time from him. I just don't, I don't see the point. I mean, to me, it's a marketing play. It's like we have Carmelo and Dwayne. Great. Okay. Well, we wish we had them both 10 years ago. Like I, I don't, I I don't see it. So uh, to me, I I look at all three teams, Chris, and I I don't like the fits anywhere for him. So, uh, well, I I think, I think you're just out on him as a player. So I feel like there, there are going to be very, you know, few situations where you think he fits. So here's why I think he fits with Miami. Number one, I'm not necessarily, that concerned with preserving minutes for James Johnson. I'm not even that concerned really with preserving minutes for Justice Winslow unless unless the Heat think that he has a significant value. And if you played Winslow and Carmelo together, like it would it would it would make a modicum of sense, right? Like you can play you can you can switch, you can have Winslow guard fours, whatever. I, I think those guys can play together. And I don't think you're really playing Carmelo more than twenty, twenty five minutes a game. But I think the Heat not just from a marketing standpoint, although I do think he helps from a marketing standpoint because they just don't have names that reach outside of basketball fans. You saw that there was a difference in the arena when Wade came back because there there was a connection to maybe people that aren't devoted massive Heat fans like the ones that work for Miami Heat Beat that are you know analyzing every move and watching Summer League and trying to come up with how to fix the team and all this stuff. Like There is a broader Miami sports fan that just isn't that into you know, the day-to-day minutiae of the team, where if you just say, oh, yeah, Carmelo's there. Okay, cool. I'll, I'll go watch Carmelo. I'll, I'll, I'll go check it out. And so, yes, I, I do think he provides value there. But I think the other place that he provides value is, I do think the Heat, at the very least, are a playoff team, right? I, I, don't, I don't envision a scenario where next season they fall out of the postseason. And so I do think that you are allowed to, in the NBA, because the regular season doesn't matter, make signings with only the playoffs in mind. And I think that Carmelo Anthony, as a playoff player, now, didn't help OKC a ton, but again, that's a very specific situation. I think that Carmelo Anthony in the playoffs becomes a much more valuable proposition, has a much more valuable skill set than I think a lot of Heat players at the moment. Like, I, I don't, like, in terms of, would you rather have Carmelo Anthony or Tyler Johnson or uh, James Johnson? I, I think you'd rather have Carmelo than a lot of the guys on the Heat roster in terms of playing the very specific way that playoff basketball is played. Now, he's going to get targeted on the defensive end, and that's going to be a hurdle to overcome. But I think his offensive skill set would help Miami as a playoff team. I think as a regular season team, they've hit their ceiling. They're going to, you know, win, you know, get to the sixth or seventh seed. He doesn't help a ton in the regular season. In the postseason, I think he becomes a valuable player to Miami. I can see that possibility, and I agree with you about Miami. Like, to me, the worst-case scenario for the Heat is nine um, because there there are five teams in the East that are not competing next year. And then there's one more that I think could compete, but I don't know, and that's Chicago, but I, I just don't know that they're far enough along uh, even with you know the Levine re-signing and with Markinen's development, and, so and, I and think they may, and they may not want to, right? Because if, if you can get one more pick that's in the top ten, that's in the higher end of the lottery, then then I think that they'll start to sort of head in the right direction. Right, but they might make the playoffs by accident because, sure. like I said, there, there are five teams that are just going to be awful um, in the Eastern Conference, and so I, I think the worst case scenario for Miami is nine. The best case scenario to me is maybe four, but I think it's probably in that five to seven range, I think is most likely for them that they fall about where they fell this season. So yes, if you're just playing for the playoffs, you add him, you can market it a little bit, but I think people are going to be disappointed because again, I I was not that sold on Carmelo as a player to begin with. And now you're talking about a diminished Carmelo. I know everybody talks about this and we had Brian Grant on the pod talking about it. I can't think of two guys who approach basketball more differently than Brian Grant and Carmelo Anthony, where Brian Grant wanted the workouts down here. 
I don't know that Carmelo is going to want the workouts. Like, I think they're going to be in a situation where he sits out a lot of practices, which the Heat have done with older guys before, um, where he's just riding the bike. He doesn't get in, he doesn't have enough time to get in the kind of heat shape that he needs to get into. It's different for Dwayne. Like Dwayne got out of shape over a year and a half in Chicago and Cleveland because they didn't have the same kind of program, but he knew what the heat program was, right? So when they restarted him on it, he got back in pretty good shape quickly. It's not going to happen with Carmelo. So I, if, if, you know, other than, like you said, other than a marketing play, maybe he helps you win one playoff game. But I would, I would rather. I, I'm not worried about James Johnson minutes, but I, I want as many to me. This heat season is about as many minutes as possible for Adebayo, Richardson, and Winslow. Like, I, I don't care about anything else. Like, that's, get as many minutes for those guys as possible because either they're going to be core pieces for you or they're going to be flippable somewhere else. And the rest of the roster, to me, there are some players I like. Obviously, Goran's one of them. But I, to me, that's all it's about. And so if Carmelo takes any minutes away from Justice, I don't like it. I just don't. I think Justice needs to be playing 30 plus now and figure out what it is that you have. All right, let's move on. We're going to do these other four quicker. I, it's funny. A little inside baseball here. Chris told me that I, Chris, we wanted to do Carmelo today. And I'm like, I don't think we can talk more than 10 minutes about Carmelo. <laughs> and, and I think we're, we just we're, got we're, we're a half hour in. <laughs> we're, we're a half hour in. All right, so let's do the rest of these guys a little bit quicker. A word from one of our new sponsors. That sponsor is Miss Inc. Com. That's miss-inc.com. They are social media problem solvers. They do social media marketing and content writing. We are using them right now. They've been in business for 10 years and they believe in a personal customized approach to marketing. So they only represent businesses that are serious about taking their visibility to the next level. Social media marketing requires much more than just a blog or profiles on a website like Facebook or Twitter. It takes a smart strategy and a daily interactive focus. Miss Inc. has been leveraging social media for Miami businesses since 2008. They don't believe in cookie cutter strategies or in boxing your business in with others in your industry. Here's how you check them out. Go to miss-inc.com or call 305-537-6465. The next one is Dwayne. And, you know, to me, it's Miami or nowhere. But I have heard some rumblings about that it's not going perfectly uh, behind the scenes again. I, I don't think it's at 2015, 2016 levels. But the reality is the Heat don't have a couple of things right now. They don't have a lot of money. Um, you know, they can really only offer him the exception which you can say is fair value at this stage of his career. But still, um, you know, if things had played out differently for Dwayne and maybe he'd taken what Pat wanted to give him in 2016, there would have been a big payday at the end of the career. It's not happening now. The, the second thing, and because they, it can't, they don't, they don't have the money to do it. Um, and the second part of this is that I just don't know where he plays. And I say that as someone who thinks that he's the second best two guard on the roster if he comes back behind Josh Richardson, who should be playing the two and has been pushed out of position to the three. But if you're not moving Tyler Johnson and he's making 19 million and you're not able to move Deion Waiters and he's making 11, those two guys need to play or they're going to play uh, some at least. And then Magruder, you don't worry about that. He's only making 1.5. He's a useful player who kind of got pushed out of the rotation last year. And we're still waiting to hear what's going to happen with Ellington, although I think Ellington is staying because the market has dried up. And to me, they have to have told Wayne Ellington, we're going to clear out this situation for you financially and also in the backcourt so that there are minutes for you and there's money for you. Because otherwise, there's no reason Wayne Ellington should be unsigned right now. Right now, actually, you know, if you look at the two of them, Dwayne and Wayne Ellington might be the two best unrestricted free agents on the market right now. Um, this show is sponsored by BetterHelp. What's the first thing you'd do if you had an extra hour in your day? Go for a run, take a nap, maybe check the stats of the latest Miami Heat game? I've got a better idea. A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. The question is time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? The best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important to you and make it a priority. Therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. I've benefited from therapy. I went through some life changes, major life events, had some difficulties. 
Wasn't a believer in therapy, but it helped me and it can help you also. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. So learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Miami Heat today to get 10% off your first month. Again, that's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Miami Heat. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Isaiah Thomas would be the other, but there's not much left. Okay. So my question with Dwayne is if he comes back a Chris, how much do you think he has left based on what we saw last season and B what is the role and who gets pushed aside for him? Because the fans are going to want to see him. And in my opinion, what he showed in the last two months last year, he has enough left that he should be playing. Yeah. I, I think it's the same role, isn't it? I mean, if it's, if it's basically the same team, I guess the one thing that would convolute the math is that Deion Waiters is going to come back. And so you have to wedge in minutes. So I th- maybe it's just sort of shaving everywhere. I think Eric Spolster is a really difficult job on his hands th- this next year in terms of really getting minutes distribution. Because I will say one thing about Miami, and it's the one problem that I think they have as well, is that they've got like 11 NBA quality players. And like if, if you just look at, for example, the Washington Wizards, if you took any of the Heat's sort of role players and gave them to the Washington Wizards and had them, had them be their three three-man bench that they've been looking for for five years behind Wall and Beal. They, like, legitimately, I'm not even kidding you. I, I think they could have made the conference finals and maybe even won the conference finals because they were just such a catastrophe bringing anybody off the bench, and yet the Heat had this problem where they have too many guys to bring off the bench. And so I, I think it's, it's a team that, and we've talked about this before, a bunch of decent players, right? NBA-quality adult players. But... I, I don't know how you continue to wedge all that stuff in when you got to work Dion back in. So someone's got to take a hit, and I, I don't know where it is, but I, I would be curious if maybe the Heat, you know, take a posture where they're almost hoping for retirement because they didn't seem like they were planning on doing a retirement tour. That, and, we, you know, we've, we've heard that they're not necessarily up for it. And I. I mean, maybe he goes to Los Angeles. Why? What? So, 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 give me. So, talk me out of why he wouldn't go to Los Angeles because it makes perfect sense. Whether LeBron, a decent role to play, and not quite the cluster bleep of an organization that the Cavs are. I think the only reason, honestly, is because he said he wanted to finish here, and, and I think going back on that again would do him some damage, um, not long, long lasting damage. The number's still going to get retired. People still love him, but everybody loved the story last year, right? Like mm-hmm. he didn't, we knew Cleveland was probably going to go to the finals as dysfunctional as they were that likely that Toronto would roll over and they'd probably get to the finals and Boston didn't have Hayward. And then, you know, we found out later that uh, Boston wouldn't have Kyrie either, but and yet we still knew that Dwayne desperately wanted out of Cleveland and wanted to get to Miami. Like Heat fans love that story. They hated Cleveland. They loved Dwayne. They were upset about him playing up there, much more upset than they were about him playing in Chicago, even though obviously him leaving Miami hurt the most. And, 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 even, so- and, even, and there was even like a bit of schadenfreude with like, you know, enjoying the fact that Cleveland got off to a rough start and enjoying that things were difficult there for him. Right. So now he comes back and everybody loves the story. He has two games that we're going to remember that both against Philadelphia, one in the regular season and one in the playoffs. And so to leave again, I, it, it feels Patrick Ewing ish. Um, sure. You know, where he ends up in Orlando and Seattle at the end of his but, career. But, but going to but going to the Lakers is not Orlando and Seattle. It's the no, freaking Lakers. It, it's it's the Lakers. But a couple of things about that. And he has a relationship with Kobe. It's been at times, you know, <laughs> there's been some bristling there over the years, but there's also enormous respect there both ways. Um there's some stories I could tell you about that, but eventually, like I, I know Dwayne respects Kobe enormously, so it might actually be easier for Dwayne than it's going to be for LeBron, where people are 
you know, painting over LeBron's murals already. <laughs> uh, the Kobe fans out there in Los Angeles. But but to me, the thing about uh, him going to L.A. is he did the LeBron thing already. Like he did it and it didn't really work very well. Like they didn't they had a couple moments, but they didn't recapture anything close to what they were before. Um, and then there are stories that have come out. We're going to have Dave McMenamin on the pod here in the next week or so. But, you know, stories that came out that Dwayne was one of the people who was really sort of most unhappy in Cleveland, was kind of uh, the person behind that meeting that they had, that famous meeting that they had that ended up ultimately leading to a lot of the trades or at least contributing to them. So I I, I just, uh, to go back out and play with LeBron again, it's like, okay, we tried it. Um, It wasn't the same. You know, I made a decision. I was happier in Miami to go to L.A. at this point. Like, can he help them from a basketball perspective? Yes. I mean, they need spacing, right? Sure. He's not he's not providing that. I mean, he's he's basically a better version of Lance Stevenson, right? Even at this stage of his career, he's a better version of Lance Stevenson. So that's, you know, to me, it doesn't make sense. But your point about Miami and the minutes and sort of how it fits, like, is a good one. Like, I don't know who he plays with in Miami because if they're going to have to play Dion, like to me, Dion and Dwayne playing together, like I think Dwayne as a mentor for Dion is, is a good thing, but the basketball fit between the two of them, ugh, I, I don't, yeah. I don't know, man. I mean, it was hard enough for Dwayne with Dragic and I, I think it's going to be harder with waiters. Waiters has a chemistry with Dragic, which is a little surprising to me, but clearly they had one. So I, I just I, I don't see it. So it would, it, it most, would just it would just be so nice if you could trade one of them for a first round pick. But I, I don't think you're getting one for any of those guys. Oh, no, 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 definitely not. I, I mean, I, I like I said, I like even I, like even like at the trade deadline. Right. So like, let's say you get down to it and you can sort of. All right. T- take one of our guys for a first round pick. Is there anyone you would have done? You, you would do that for because I don't think you do it for waiters with with two years left on the deal. You no. definitely you definitely don't do it for Tyler Johnson. You wouldn't do it for Wade. I I don't think you would do it for Ellington depending on the contract. Like I I just I mean well actually maybe you would if it's like if it's taxpayer mid level for two years like for a year and a half of Ellington like maybe you give up a first round Chris, pick. Chris 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 look at last year's trade deadline okay yeah. uh, Memphis couldn't get a first round pick they couldn't even get a high second for Tyreek Evans yeah who was shooting forty seven percent from the floor and averaging 19 like yeah. no they're not getting a first round yeah. pick for any of these guys right. and uh, so i mean that that's even if they were in the last year of their contracts and and none of them are uh so no that that's that's not going to happen so i to me the thing with Dwayne is yes from from a lifestyle perspective obviously his wife you know has been out in la uh, you know, quite a bit. Uh, there are opportunities in LA for both of them. Um, he loves wine now. Okay. There, you know, he could basically take a private jet up to wine country on the weekends. I mean, there's a lot of reasons to be in Los Angeles from a non-basketball standpoint, from a legacy standpoint, I don't get it. So to me, I think you just, I think he waits it out here and sees if they can dump a guy. And if they can dump a guy, then the playing time will be there. And then I do think the heat bring him back, uh, because again, he can help from a basketball perspective, but from a marketing perspective, it's it still matters for them. They're not at a stage where it doesn't matter. Um, I, like we talked about in a previous pod, I think a big reason they signed Deion Waiters to the contract they did was because he replicated Dwayne a couple of times in that season. It was like, okay, they made people forget about Dwayne, and then you know Dion got hurt. Now he's you know he's paid what he's paid, and it didn't, doesn't end up making that much sense. So I, I think most likely scenarios would be honestly Miami or retire. Um, and and the one other possibility for me is is China for him. Um, Interesting. I, I had heard that many times over the course of his career, and nobody ever denied it. Okay, I I never got people close to him to confirm it, but nobody ever denied it that China was a real possibility for him at the end uh, because of the Li Ning deal, and it might have even been something that was discussed contractually with him. So I never got that part confirmed, but it would not stun me. If he ends up there, I mean, he's going there again this summer. He has a ton of business contacts there. He's still huge there. Um, so that wouldn't, you know, and when Haslam kind of threw it out there, which he talked about on our pod too, I, again, wouldn't stun me if, if Dwayne goes there for, for one year, um, you know, and, and averages 25 for some team and, and continues to build his brand. I could see a real possibility with that. Hey, this is Gary and Thorne, host of the Fantasy on 5 podcast, part of the 5 Reasons Sports Network, letting you know that your fantasy football needs are covered this season. My co-host David Ganos and I will be leading you hand-in-hand through your draft and right up to Championship Sunday, offering our insight into the world of fantasy football. We'll also be inviting some of our friends from Sports Illustrated, Yahoo, and DraftKings. 
Look for us Tuesdays and Thursdays starting in July, wherever you currently listen to your favorite Five Reasons Network podcasts. All right, let's get to the other three guys. We're going to go through them quicker. Third one here is LeBron. We're not going to waste a ton of time on this because we've talked about him on three other pods and you should find this, but it is official now, Chris. Um, He is officially a Laker. He signed the contract. As we're releasing this pod, it's four years from when he left the Heat. I put this on Twitter. I put a poll on there. I said, which roster was better? The roster that he joined with the Cavs and not just joined, but built in the, in the next couple of weeks. So adding guys like Kevin Love and Mike Miller and James Jones, Sean Marion to what they already had as compared to this Lakers roster. Uh, we got more than a thousand votes. 78% of people said the Cleveland roster was better than this Laker roster as currently constituted. And I agree because there's nobody on this roster who's close to Kyrie. Uh, even at that stage. And when I look at the other pieces, I still don't really see how they fit. So one of the reasons we're talking about Dwayne and Carmelo is because LeBron needs help. And we're talking about two guys at the very back end of his their career who would definitely be in the rotation in Los Angeles, like without any question. And that's to me speaks to sort of where the Lakers are right now. So I think there are as many as, and I'm getting killed on, on Twitter about this, Chris, by Laker fans, not surprisingly. But I think there are as many as seven or eight teams that I'm not saying will be better than the Lakers this year, but could be better. Okay, could be better. Golden State, and I don't like what Houston's doing right now, but Golden State and Houston are better. Um, OKC is better. That's three. I think Denver is better. I think Utah is better. That guy can coach. And as long as and Mitchell in his second season playing with Gobert, I think that team is better. I think New Orleans is better. I like the Julius Randle addition. They played really well without Cousins last year. Now they've added him. What am I up to already? Six. Um, mm-hmm. I think I think Minnesota could be better. I don't like their mix, but they did make the playoffs last year. Carl um, Anthony Towns is a year older, more experienced. Maybe Wiggins starts to figure it out. Jimmy Butler missed a lot of time this season. They still made the playoffs. They probably would have won 50 games if Jimmy Butler stays healthy. So I think potentially they are better. Um, and Portland, I, I know people are down on the Blazers. They were the third seed in the West. They haven't really lost anything. I mean, it's the same. They brought back Nurkic. It's the same team. Like, I know people are disappointed by that, but are the Lakers necessarily better than Portland? So I could see, I, I can talk about LeBron being dangerous in a playoff series, and clearly he is. But that team that the Lakers have right now with a lot of guys who, to me, aren't ready yet, and a lot of guys who don't fit and maybe character issues. I I don't know. I don't know that the Lakers are a lock to be a top six seed in the West. I really don't. Yeah, I mean, I I just believe in LeBron so much that I think it's going to work. And I think that one of the things that's sort of being underrated is we talk about the young guys as a prospect for a trade, but the young guys had a really good run in sort of the second half of last season. Ingram's numbers look a lot better. Still not taking enough threes. The percentage went up, but he took less than two a game. Uh, Hart and Kuzma and Ball. And I think if they just kind of keep this team together, put put an emphasis on the young guys and, and, and try and sort of bring that along, I think they can be a decent team because they're already climbing up the Western Conference as it was without LeBron James. You stick a LeBron James in there, and I think he can really make that work. Now, I I agree with what seems to be the consensus, which is that the role players they put around him make no sense, JaVale and Stevenson and Rondo, and then obviously KCP is in there as well. But I, 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 I do think that there's enough promise there in what the Lakers did last year that they continue building and that LeBron James adds a, a, a massive dimension. And I also don't particularly, as much as you sort of mentioned all these teams in the West, like I don't think that those teams are that much better than the teams that he beat in the East last year. I, I think that, you know, Indiana, I think Indiana would compete pretty well in the Western Conference. I think Toronto would compete pretty well in the Western Conference. I really don't see that much of a difference. So I think LeBron has a chance to get into the top half of the conference. And it's strictly because he's LeBron and because you're dropping, an, you're dropping him onto what was already a team that was on the ascent last year. So I think presuming health, yes, there will be fit issues, but I'm not overly concerned. The one thing that is clear and obvious, though, and you compare it to the to the Cleveland teams, is there's no way that team's winning a championship. And when's the last time you can say that about a LeBron team? Like oh six, oh seven? 
because oh, no, they oh five oh six then because oh five oh six yeah. Well, and even then, like, wasn't wasn't that playoffs when uh, he like scored a zillion consecutive points against Detroit, but then they went out in the conference finals to some, but like. Th- it's been a long time since they weren't a team that had LeBron on it wasn't near the top of the conference, and that is definitely the case. And it is a bit startling, but maybe LeBron will enjoy the extra few weeks off. He hasn't had it for a while. Yeah, and look, he can he get them in the top four? I mean, I, I never doubt him, um, but I, I I just think you look at some of the personalities on that team, some of the fits. And, and the young guys, like all of the young guys have some questions. Like Ingram looked like he turned a corner last year. He, he had a really, really good February before he got hurt and then was shut down. Uh, Lonzo still doesn't shoot the ball particularly well. I think he'll fit better around LeBron than a lot of other people do. Um, but again, LeBron likes to play with spot-up shooters, and he's not one. And this whole strategy that they're talking about where – you know, putting guys around him who can create. I mean, that's fine if those guys can finish too. Um, you know, it's great to have another guy who can create offense, but if the lane is going to be clogged because there are no shooters out there, it's going to be harder for them to create offense. And look, uh, you know, Lance Stevenson is not a guy who gets the benefit of the whistle. I, I just, I, I look at that team and I really, honestly, I can't for this year, I can't really figure out what they're doing now cleaning out those contracts and how it looks in 2019 is another story, but I don't think that they're going to be great. All right. Fourth guy on our list here is Chris Paul. I think it would surprise some people, Chris, that he's second in win shares of all the guys that I mentioned. Um, in some ways, Chris Paul has had a sneaky underrated career, at least regular season career, which I think has been colored a little bit by the playoff failures. But on this one, I think he's going to age the worst, okay, uh, of these guys. And it's because, unlike Carmelo at this stage, Chris Paul is going to be paid a ton of money at the very end. Now, Carmelo's coming off $27 million this year, okay? But Carmelo's not going to get paid that going forward. Dwayne's not getting paid that going forward. LeBron is worth whatever it is that they pay him. But Chris Paul is going to be making $160 million between his 33rd birthday and his 37th birthday. And we have already seen that Chris Paul misses time with injuries. It always seems to happen at the worst time, right? A lot of times in the playoffs. But he's missed a lot of time. And now you're talking about a guy who's going to be 36, 37 years old at that position, taking up $40 million plus of your cap. I understand why Houston had to do it because they traded seven pieces to bring him in. Then they almost got to the finals. And and also he turned down this extension from the Clippers so that he could join the Rockets. And you don't do that unless you are guaranteed to make up that money on the back end. Right. And if Houston did not do this, nobody's ever signing with them again. Okay. Right. Right? I mean, that's the way that this plays out. And Houston is a city that NBA guys typically like to play in. So they had to do it. I understand it. Um, and as we speak here, Capella isn't even locked in, although I think that that will happen. But yeah, this is not going to age well, Chris. And no, we talked about not. it on, and, and, and by, it on the previous pod. And by the way, so his so he'll be 36 in the last year of his contract. And in that year, he will make $44.2 million. It's obscene. And there's no amount of cap spike that can justify that. There's, there, there's no way that you can make that up in in you know in sort of it being a smaller percentage of the cap 45 million dollars is 45 million dollars i don't think there are many athletes in the world including in soccer where you make 45 million dollars on salary like it just it doesn't exist and so to make that amount of money is just it's unprecedented and it's going to be at a time where like you said that's 4 years from now how much more is he going to be broken down like we've been talking about broken down chris paul for like the last three years, and it it, it only it, it it only gets worse from here. So unless they figure out ways to manage it, unless they figure out ways to get his minutes down, but then you're reducing the impact of a forty-four million dollar player. There's just no getting around that this is going to be really bad on the back end. And I'd love to see how Daryl Morey is going to be you know willing to work his way out of it, unless he just thinks I got two years to win the championship. I'm going for it. Uh, that's the only thing he's got to be thinking. Now, look at the games played here over the past few seasons. There's there's one outlier in here, but otherwise, 60, 70, 62, so that's 20 missed games, 82. He played all 82 in 14, 15, 74, which is a healthy total, but then 61 and 58 the last two seasons. He has been incredible when he's played. If you look at his offensive rating, his net rating here on pro, on basketball reference, okay, he has since 2010-11 been plus 19, plus 22, plus 25, plus 22, plus 21, plus 16, plus 20, and was plus 21 last year. 
I mean, we, we talk about Carmelo Anthony being a flat player for his career, 108-108. Chris Paul is plus is 123 on offense and 104 on defense. He's a plus 19 in net rating. He has been a much, much better player than Carmelo Anthony for his career, okay? But now is not the time for him to get the money. That's the problem. He's being paid for everything that he's done instead of what we expect that he will do. Um, do you think, uh, just sort of in a historical perspective here, where does he rank for you all time in point guards? Because if you look at his his numbers here, and again, look at some of the metrics, which have aged really well over time, you can make an argument for him, I mean, not just in the top five, but maybe higher than that. I mean, if we're going to put Magic Johnson first, which most sane people, sorry to, you know, novice from Heat Beat, most sane people have Magic first, <laughs> right? Okay, all right. But after that, I, you know, I think the names that get thrown out there are who? Stockton. Um, it depends kind of where you put Oscar, right? Like that's another one of those. It's hard to classify him. Isaiah gets thrown in there. But if you look at Isaiah's numbers, and, and there's some comparisons that have been made about the two of them because of the size thing, both about you know, the same height. Okay. They, they play a little bit differently, but there are some similarities, but if you look at Isaiah's numbers for his career and Chris Paul's numbers, um, with the exception of sort of the high peaks with scoring with Isaiah, Chris Paul's numbers are better than Isaiah Thomas's numbers. And I think a lot of people evaluate Chris, uh, Isaiah Thomas as, you know, perhaps the second best point guard of all time. I mean, if you look at Isaiah's numbers overall, uh, just from an offensive rating, defensive rating standpoint, another player who didn't age that well, 106 for offensive rating, 107 for defensive rating. Isaiah was a flat player also, of course, of his career. So you can make an argument that Chris Paul is the second best point guard ever. Um, and the only guy who might pass him at this stage is the guy that he's been trying to get past, which is Steph Curry, whose numbers are off the charts, obviously. So this is not to disparage Chris Paul as a player. I think he's been an underrated player for his career but he's going to be underrated and then grossly overpaid at the very end of this. Yeah, I, I think that he, as, as a point guard, and again, this all is in the context of teams, right? So uh, the conversation this year was, can he finally make it to the conference final? And then he went and did that, right? So it, in relative team terms, he hasn't really accomplished that much, particularly in comparison to guys like Magic and like Isaiah Thomas. But I, I think in terms of a player, right? You talk about, you ask any point guard in the league the last 15 years, who's the most difficult guy to play against? And it's Chris Paul. So I, I don't know how, you know, that you, you don't sort of rate him near the very top of the best point guard. So I, I think that he is the kind of player that becomes underrated in the course of history because he doesn't have the team accomplishments to back up what is ultimately his superb skill on the basketball floor. Which means he has to win. If, if he really wants to secure his legacy and sort of live up to everything we're talking about, that he's been an underrated player, he's got to win a championship there. Because when when they're, when he's getting paid $45 million, okay, uh, and you know, and you have James Harden next to him making similar type money, they've got to win a title. Like to me, that cements it for Chris Paul in terms of everything else that he's done. And if he doesn't do that, I think some of the metrics that we're talking about are going to be overshadowed by, wow, he was really overpaid at the end of his career. And that didn't work out very well for Houston. Like that's not the way that you want to go out because I don't know how you trade that contract in two years. Like who's going to take $42 million a year, something along those lines over the last two years for a guy who's going to be 36, 37 years old, just not going to happen. So um, I, again, Houston went all in with him. I understand it in terms of what he's done, but what he's doing going forward, it's going to be rough. This is the Five Reasons Sports Network, sports by Miami, for Miami, on demand. We now have 10 podcasts in the network, posting roughly 15 times per week. All can be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and several cross-platform apps. We're on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Here's some of what you missed last week on Miami Heat Beat. Are we a Tyler Johnson away? Are we a Hassan? I can't even do that to you. I'm sorry. Breaking news. The Cavs are in shambles. <laughs> if you want to get involved as a sponsor or contributor, reach out to us at number five reason sports on Twitter. And be sure to punch five reasons in your search bar and then hit subscribe. Last guy here on the list. And a lot of people wouldn't even put him with these four guys. But as I mentioned, if you look at the numbers, Dwight Howard not only belongs, but again, has had a more productive career than Carmelo Anthony. And just because he's been healthier has actually put up uh, better numbers than Dwayne overall. And yet look at the itinerary 
recently, Chris. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's not, right. I mean, Orlando through 2012 had that silly incident with Stan, which he says he's regretted. Goes to the Lakers for one year. That was a big deal that summer. Like the, he was the core free agent. Like where was Dwight going to go? ESPN broke into programming. Plays one season with the Lakers. Doesn't fit with Kobe. Doesn't fit with D'Antoni. Is out of there after one season. Then three years in Houston, uh, where they really just didn't accomplish all that much. Then he and Harden never really clicked, or at least not at the end. One year with Atlanta. One year with Charlotte. And look at his numbers last year in Charlotte. He averaged sixteen six and twelve five. Um, his rebounding percentage was best in the league. I mean, he still does that at a really high rate. And yet I feel like with Dwight, all we talk about are the, the silly things, right? Sort of the way he, he conducts himself, but also the things that people wanted him to do over the years that he never really did, right? Like he always wanted the ball more in the post, but never really developed a post game, right? Like uh, the pick and rolls, like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, that was what he was really effective at. Uh, it seemed like at times he didn't really want to do that. Like, I, I feel like with Dwight, it's, we're going to be looking back at him as like to a certain degree. And I think Shaq has colored this some Chris, like the sure. way that Shaq has talked about him over the years, which is interesting because I think you can make an argument that Shaq didn't tap all of his potential, although he certainly got closer than Dwight has. But I think we look at Dwight as kind of a little bit of unfulfilled potential. But when you're going to look at it at the end of his career, as long as he doesn't drop off a cliff here, and that really hasn't happened uh, because he pretty much averaged his career numbers last season, he's averaged 17.4, 12.7 rebounds, shot 58% from the floor, and averaged a couple of blocks per game. Like, I mean, those are not only those Hall of Fame numbers, like if you look at the modern era of centers, you know, he's one of the best centers of the past 15 years, if not at his peak, the best. So do we have Dwight Howard pegged wrong? Well, yes, because I think that you look at, so for me, I kind of look at it as the first 10 years of his career. He didn't make the All-Star game in his first two years, but then made, then made eight consecutive All-Star games. Then his career fell off a cliff. And one of the things that don't get factored, that, that to me doesn't get factored in enough, is that he had a major injury that kind of resulted in a loss in what made him special, right? He was such a unique athlete that, he sort of, I don't think he was ever really that skilled of an offensive player in terms of having post moves. I mean, how often did he want to get the ball in the post and want to do, and basically show off that he was Shaq, right? That he was sort of that next level big man. And he was an incredible player in his own right. Like you look at the way that Orlando built around him, they got to the finals and I thought were competitive in those finals. I don't think that they were kind of a, a laugher finals team. And then the first 10 years of his career, I thought were really good. Now he had a, a bit a, an injury in 2000. 11-12 that I think affected the rest of his career. Obviously, that Lakers season was a bit disastrous, but you look at his numbers, they were fine. And then that first Houston season where uh, they, they they did well, where he did well and they did well. And then I thought he contributed as well in their conference finals run in Houston when, when they eventually lost to Golden State. So, first 10 to 12 years are really good. It's just I think two things happened. One, his body broke down. And two, his skill set's no longer required in the league in terms of, uh, unless you're going to defend out to the to the three. We talk about this all the time. You have to defend out to the three-point line. You have to be quick. You have to be mobile. You have to you know be willing to take on a role in which you're a dunker. And then, to me, the other reason why Dwight Howard's reputation takes a hit is because every single team that he leaves is leaking. We couldn't wait to get him out the door. He is such a problem for us, not in terms of the typical way of a Terrell Owens. He's just so immature, and everyone wants to see the backside of him. And I don't know how Dwight hasn't realized... Well, first off, he's 33 years old. Grow up, dude. But the second thing is, is that... I don't know how he didn't realize that he is affecting his career with his behavior. It just didn't seem like he was ever really that interested in correcting the problem. Right. But I, I think with him, you know, there are certain guys that are like problems, right? Like problems, like getting in trouble off the court, that kind of stuff like that. I mean, you know, Dwight's done some stuff in his personal life, obviously, that's been documented. But but he hasn't. I mean, I mean, there has not been the kind of distraction that there's been with some other guys. So I, I think some of that is a little unfair. I mean, he's silly, basically. He's silly. Sure. Um, and, and he likes, you know, and I, I had a long conversation with Stan Van Gundy about Dwight, and, and Stan didn't dislike Dwight. But the thing with Dwight is, you know, Dwight, everything has to be sort of funny or fun for him, or he's not really comfortable. And so I, I think that's played into it 
um, quite a bit. And I think, you know, with Shaq, you know, look, when we've had, we had Haslam on the pod, he talked about Shaq and some of the crazy stuff that Shaq had. I mean, hugging people naked and all the rest. I mean, D- Dwight does some of the stuff that Shaq did, but for some reason with Shaq, it was endearing. Right. And, I, I, don't, and, I, don't think, I don't, I don't think he has the charisma to pull it off. Right. Okay. So he, it's funny because, and that's, I think why Shaq felt threatened by Dwight, like, and was constantly putting Dwight down. Mm-hmm. I, that and the Orlando thing, obviously, because, you know, Shaq felt that nobody could ever touch him and what he accomplished in Orlando, which could have been more if he didn't leave for Los Angeles. But uh, he's constantly been putting him down. And, and so I think that that's kind of gotten into people's heads here a little bit. Like, is he frustrating at times? Yes, because I, I think he could have been a lot more. I mean, what he did in two particular occasions in his NBA career, the 2009 playoffs, where he beat LeBron at his best. Like, I, that was, I mean, LeBron's series, take a look at the numbers for LeBron in that 08, 09 Eastern Conference Finals. They were unbelievable. Like, we talk about the numbers that LeBron put up in the most recent finals and some of the recent series. Like, those numbers were comparable. And that Orlando team, which was good, okay? I mean, you had Turkaloo, you had Rashard Lewis, who was closer to his prime. Um, but they didn't have Jameer Nelson healthy at that point, I think Courtney Lee was starting at the two guard spot as a rookie. Like it was not a great Orlando team. It was a good Orlando team. And that team beat LeBron at his best. And Dwight was the fulcrum of all of it. So that was tremendous. And then also, if you look at the 2010, 2011 season, uh, I believe Dwight finished third in MVP voting behind Rose and LeBron. He could have been first. Like if you look at the metrics for, for Dwight that season, he had an incredible season. So, and then the overall numbers for his career. So, I feel like uh, has he been frustrating? Yes. Do you think he could have been more if he'd been more serious about it? Yes. But I, I think everybody, you know, I've put this on Twitter and people are like, he's not a Hall of Famer. Like, you can't look at those numbers, okay, and say he's not a Hall of Famer. Like, I don't care how many teams he plays for for the rest of his career. I mean, he's, he's, he's 32 years old at this point. All right. He has been reasonably durable like he's had the back problems okay he missed uh you know half a season in Houston in 14 15 he missed a lot of a season in Orlando in 11 12 but a lot of big guys miss a lot of time okay so he's missed time but it's not that out of whack from other bigs and again 17.4 12.7 2.0 58 from the field yes he's been bad from the line okay F- uh what 58 percent uh, from the line for his career, but like he's not Andre Drummond bad, right? I mean, he's not. He's he was bad, okay, but he he was not. To awful. me, to me, if you're bad enough to get hackered, you're bad. Okay, so he was bad, but but, but uh, Andre Andre Drummond is a particular level of bad. Like I, I don't think that excuses. I mean, if you're sub sixty five percent, you are bad at free throw shooting. But what surprises me about this for you, Chris, is you again. You I know you're not wed to analytics in every case. We've talked about that in the pod that you changed your view of Carmelo a little bit. But by the analytics, like Dwight has been a really really good player, uh, a really good player, and so. Uh, you know, again, look at the the offensive rating, defensive rating for his career. 110 offensive rating. That's higher than Carmelo. 99 defensive rating. 99, okay? Three times between 2008 and 2011, Dwight led the league in defensive rating. Like, there was a three- or four-year stretch. He was the best defensive player in the league. So, I, I just, I, look, is he everything that we hoped he would be? Maybe not. Um he was certainly the right choice over Emeka Okafor in that same draft. Like there were some questions about Howard Okafor. I mean, that worked out a lot better. I think Dwight's career will be judged more favorably after it's over. Um, he's never going to win a championship now unless he signs with a team like Golden State. And I think it's interesting that, say, Golden State didn't want him instead of Cousins coming off uh, Achilles surgery because I think you could have plugged Dwight in there from a basketball standpoint, and I think it could have worked as long as he didn't demand the ball. But I do think we're going to view uh, what he accomplished on the court more favorably going forward. All right, so that's our review of five guys from that era. We'll obviously put these names up on Twitter, let you guys evaluate um, sort of where they stand over the course of their careers. And again, we'll have another NBA episode coming up in the next week with Dave McMenamin of ESPN.com. 